Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Taekwondo Life Magazine Live. Taekwondo Life Magazine is a member of the Believe Sports Network. Do you believe? Believe is the number one sports and podcast network for professionals. Today, we are, I am so excited, really so excited. I know I say this every week, and, and I hope you guys get as much enjoyment out of listening to this show as I do recording it. And today's episode is brought to you by Bet Online, your online sports book expert. But today, we are speaking again to famed film director Jesse V. Johnson. Uh, we spoke to Jesse in 2019 around the release of his Scott Adkins, Michael Jai White, Michael Bisbin, Eco Weiss, uh, Tony Jaw film, Triple Threat, which I loved, which is a great movie. And today, as you know, we've been, uh, we, we, our review dropped yesterday, and we spoke last week to Daniel Bernhardt and our review of the, his new, Jesse's new film, Hell Hath No Fury, which is a terrific film. And we, we've done several interviews. We have Lewis Mandalore coming up. Jesse V. Johnson is a former stuntman. He's an actor. He's a screenwriter, stunt coordinator, and a brilliant director. There is a common theme that we've talked about throughout the show, um, the entire history of the show, about martial arts and martial arts filmmaking, about the elevation of story and the elevation of filmmaking as it relates to martial arts films. And Jesse has been at the forefront in action films of being able to do more with less. Uh, he works on, doesn't work on these, you know, hundred gajillion dollar films, but he might as well because his films are every bit as good as anything out there. Um, he is, for those of you that aren't familiar with him, we're going to link up our prior episode, but uh, certainly one of my favorite films a uh, small film that not that many people know about, but especially if you have any knowledge of uh, Steve McQueen, many of the Bruce Lee fans know that uh, Bruce Lee and Steve McQueen had a sort of a friendship and a rivalry. Um, but there's a terrific film called The Beautiful Ones that Jesse uh, is responsible for. Scott, Scott Atkins, Savage Dog, Debt Collector, Debt Collectors, Triple Threat, Avengement, which is an award-winning film. Uh, Accident Man, one of my favorite films, got some of the best fight scenes. We spoke on this program to Amy Johnson. Um, of course, we've spoken to Scott in the past, and rumor has it, perhaps even more than rumor, that Accident Man 2 is right around the corner. Um, those are just some of the things that Jesse's responsible for. The new film that we are talking about is Hell Hath No Fury. It is not a martial arts film. It is not a, a action film in the same type of genre as the others. This is a World War II action thriller, really, really a terrific film, a film that you will be hearing a lot about, uh, comes out in theaters for a limited run through Welgo USA on November 5th, and the following week will be released on digital. So Jesse is a great guy to talk to. He's a lot of fun. He's a film historian, and uh, I look forward to speaking to him as he's got other projects that are coming out. Today's episode is brought to you, as I said, by Bet Online. Bet Online are your online sports book experts. You can go over to betonline.ag and you can get your welcome bonus. Pretty much anything that's going on, you can bet on on Bet Online, uh, even including the movies. What's going to be big at the box office when the Oscars come around? Um, 
all of those types of things, Bet Online has something to bet on. We are here uh, in the middle of football season, uh, baseball getting into the World Series, hockey and basketball starting up, but there's always a million things going on. So enjoy tonight's episode. Uh, I look forward to seeing you on the mat. Check out Jesse B. Johnson and Wellgo USA Entertainment's new film, Hell Hath No Fury. And don't forget this episode brought to you by Bet Online. Check those guys out. And we look forward to talking to you soon. I'd love to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear your feelings about the movie. Uh, and I'd love to hear any recommendations for anything else you'd like to see in future episodes. This is Mark Sirianis for Taekwondo Life Magazine. Mark, how are you? Terrific. I'm doing great. Where are you in California? I am. I'm in Los Angeles. Oh, that's terrific. That's terrific. Before we start, I just want to say thank you so much for the extraordinarily generous review and how much that means to me. And thank you. My, my pleasure. And, and it certainly came from the heart. It, it is a terrific film. And I'm so happy to talk to you today. I'm always happy to talk to you, but I'm really happy to talk to you today about this project. And I, I, sent, I sent it to all of the cast and crew and people, you know, who, are, who you generously mentioned in, in, by the way, which was fantastic. Uh, and it means so much to those guys because they, they, you know, it's a lot of work when you go out and make a pitch like this. It's so it's nice to have recognition like that. Thank you. Well, that's great. That That's great. So let's let's uh, talk about this uh, in, in the limited time that we have. Um, you know, when I found out about the film, I was excited because, as you know, we've we've followed you and we've talked to you before. And, you know, you've done a bunch of stuff with Scott that we that we followed from the accident man to. Uh, Avengement, um, the debt collector films, um, films of that nature, other things that you've done on, on your own. Savage Dog was one of those. Um, one of my favorite films, The Beautiful Ones, which doesn't have Scott in it, but I really, really like that film. I saw this and I sort of in my mind was kind of like, well, it's a World War II film. Is it going to be a maybe similar to Savage Dog or is it going to be a World War II martial arts kind of a thing, action film? It's a really took me by surprise the nature of the film, the genre of the film, you know, Daniel Bernhardt, you see the cast, right? Daniel Bernhardt, Dominique. Uh, and and you, so I sort of had this expectation of it being a, a, a different kind of an action film. How did it come to be? How did it come about that such a, a, a shift for you and for these folks? Listen, I, I, I love movies. I, I'm not necessarily drawn to genres. I love films. I love characters. I love uh, stories where I'm pulled into the story, sometimes against my better judgment. And and the film compels you. It, it, it pulls you in and you're not able to put down the script till you finished it. The genre doesn't make much difference to me. It could be anything. You know, I, I just just stunt coordinated on a on a a gay coming of age story and the script was phenomenal. I, I've not read anything like it. And it, it, it brought me in in a way I, I had never not expected. They had, you know, three or four small sort of fight scenes that had to be handled in a specific way. And I, I went in and did that for them. Uh, so, you know, my, I, it doesn't have to be about brutish guys, you know, kicking each other to death. It can be, there can be so much more to film. I, I'm a student of film history. I love, I love the process. I love, I love films. I love great filmmakers. So, uh, I'm, I never sort of hold that back. The spec for this one was uh, uh, very, very quickly. So pandemic hit, everyone did their own thing. For me, that meant going into the garden and growing corn, maize and tomatoes and onions right. and thinking it could be worse. You know, this could end up like Mad Max. And, you know, at least I got some <laughs> veggies. I right. that. All of that after about three or four weeks when the caterpillars came in and ate everything. My entire my entire corn wow. crop was was killed by these wonderfully big uh, caterpillars that made these beautiful white butterflies, which I didn't mind because I had those white butterflies for ages afterwards. 
but I realized I wasn't going to be very good at, at farming. Uh, <laughs> so I put a call out for a script that was minimal locations, minimal cast, had no attachments. I didn't want any actors attached, any producers, any of that, those barnacles that come. You know, I put it out through LinkedIn, Facebook, Ink Tip, Shark, Sharks, you know, uh, tip, or, uh, was it Script Shark, all these different uh, online sort of things. And I had a, a lot of scripts submitted. And we kept using the script to Hell Hath No Fury as the, the guide you know, the guide mark, the benchmark for what we want, you know, is it better than Hell Hath No Fury? No, let's keep with that one. And eventually it's like, well, this is just, it's just so much more compelling than anything else that is being submitted. This is the one we should knuckle down with. And uh, it all came together very well like that, you know. Uh, it was just a script that really worked. Uh, right up to the point where we are doing the cast read-through, you know, shortly before filming. And I had Daniel, Dominic, Louis, uh, and, you know, and Nina there. And we, we read it through and the script was very, very good. Uh, Mark, there were tears at the end of the read-through. You know, people, the, the guys are like, no, no, I'm not crying. You're, you're crying, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. One of those kind of things. Now it's my job to make that as best as I possibly can, you know, in, in the in the hurly-burly, in the dust and the dirt and the explosions and the heat and, you know, and, and you know, the the uh, impreciseness of a of a film shoot. Can I can I take, you know, but you want the best possible script. And so it really rose to the top against all those other pieces of literature that were being submitted. You know, it it, it it was a good choice. It was a good choice. Let me ask you. Um, you know, you, you got so much from the people that you, that you worked with, and when um, I had the opportunity to speak to Daniel, you know, one of the things that really came to surface is that this film really gives him the opportunity to showcase his acting chops, and he's phenomenal. I mean, he is. You know, I don't think that people necessarily would prior to this film think of him as an actor, right? They think of him as an action star more than they think of him as an actor. You can't watch this film and not think of him as an, a, as an actor. And, and I think that's true probably of the entire cast. I want to talk to you a little bit about Nina separately, but in your uh, vision for the film, did you in reading it have specific uh, people in mind to play those char those characters? I, I, the Joseph Cannon role, uh, Chris, uh, is it not? That's no, not Chris. Uh, I knew he was going to play it. He did something for me on on uh, the deck, uh, the you know, deck collectors. Sure. You know, it's a tough. You know, he's that speech with Dominic where he said, "Man," uh, uh, with, with uh, Scott where he says, "Man, we followed you. We, we, I loved you as a kid. You were my hero. I watched those movies with you. What the hell happened to you, man?" And there was something about the way that he delivered that dialogue in that in that little burger joint in the valley because uh, he's a tough guy. He's a big man. He's bigger than sure. I. Am big lump of flesh and it's you know it's intimidating but there's something about the way that he delivers his dialogue with a with a resonance of a peacefulness a gentleness uh, a, a a true conviction and, and sort of sincerity that i really liked and i knew when i read the part that joseph was right for that one uh and then the character that dominic plays was was required very very little work on my part because he's actually described like dominic in the script you know, the way they describe his hands, his face, the beard, the way he cuts his hair, the kind of clothes he wears and who he is. And it's like, oh, my God, this is really lame. If I if I, if I, if I hire Dominic, this is really, I'm really not going. <laughs> I, I tried to hire anyone else to play that role, but it kept coming back to Dominic. And eventually it's like, it has to be him. It has to be him. Because you don't want to be lazy when you're making a film. You're sure, like, sure. You've, you've, you've picked up every stone and looked underneath it. You've explored every possible option, but it just kept coming back to him. The rest of the cast was difficult. I, I it was not that difficult. I, I had worked with them all before. 
uh, and knew that they would they were exemplary actors and that it was not going to be you know too much too much of a concern except for the von Bruckner character and he's probably as key to the film as the Murray character truly because he's awkward you by the end of the film the audience is almost sympathizing for it a- with him absolutely so, you know, but he's but he's a wretched, vile human. You know, so how do we do that? We need someone seductive, someone uh, incredible, someone with a charm to them that transcends what he might have done. You know, and, and because he believes he's doing the right thing. And a lot of these guys truly did. You, you, you see interviews with these German officers, and they're extraordinarily mundane because these guys were simply thinking that they were doing the best job possible. It's confusing in many cases to them when they're at Nuremberg and on trial for war crimes. It was confusing to them to comprehend that they were being held accountable for these acts of, of genocide because they thought and truly believed they were doing a really good job and, and doing exactly what they were being ordered to, you know. And, it, 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 and that, that confusion was what I wanted to show. That was what I, you know, you know standing back and looking, at it, it's obvious you're, you're a psycho. You know, what, what on earth are you doing? How could you possibly do this? But when, when a soldier, and especially particular type of soldier maybe an Austrian you know he's come from landed gentry from the upper ruling class it's not that difficult for them to justify these acts these heinous acts and so I I needed someone with a certain intellectual level and I met with Daniel Daniel is a is a good talker we talked for three and a half hours he was recommended to me by a great writer called uh, James Coyne and we we talked and I realized he had the intellectual prowess to to bring a backstory to this character that that you know, even if the audience doesn't sympathize with, he and I would sympathize with, and that was enough. Uh, and, and on top of that, he spoke French and, right. and English, which, which, by the way, finding somebody who speaks those three languages in Hollywood is pretty tough. So it, it seemed right. But the other the other side here, and I think I should mention it because you work for a Taekwondo, you know, martial arts-based magazine, is that these action actors that are, are continuously working from Lee Charles in England to to Daniel, to, to uh, Dominic, to Louis Mandalore, to Scott Adkins, to Michael Jai White, Eco, and all of them, they're all given short thrift because they are such fantastic physical performers, such fantastic athletes. They're given short thrift on their acting, and people say, oh, you know, it's okay. He does a pretty, you know, but they're, they're phenomenal actors. They're really good. There's a reason they continue to turn up in films. There's a reason they can keep, they, you know, they keep making films. They keep being chosen. And I don't understand why that is. As human beings, we can't give them the, the credit that they deserve as actors because they're martial artists. It's very strange. It's very strange. And they I, deserve so much. I agree with that. I agree with that. And that's been a through line of things that in writing about your films that I that I love and I respect is that that notion that I, it's I always it's analogous to the pornography um, analogy in the sense that martial arts films is always like this notion where people have always had this notion that it's all about the action and you don't, you, you don't need to have a good actor in it. You don't need to have a good story in it because people will just fast forward to the action. And, and I've loved one of the things that you've done and, and, and the work with Scott that you've done, the mercenaries, another example of, of that. Um, Eco Uwais in his films, the raid and um, you know, uh, headshot and those things um, is on that, that same level where, Yes, you can have a complete package, and 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 as a as a moviegoer, you you walk out of there feeling so much better when when there is good acting, good action, good cinematography, good music, all of those things combined for a real movie experience. I guess I study I study movies. I study not only 
theoretical side of movies, but also I study the fan and the, and the reviews and, and what people talked about these films. I, I used to read 1950s and 60s movie magazines when I was a kid. Sure. That's all I had access, you know, I, I'd go through them and I learned about these films. I finally watched them on DVD or VHS years and years later. But a lot of the Western action actors, John Wayne and, uh, and, and McQueen and Eastwood were given incredibly short thrift for most of their, most of their right. virile adult life. It was only once they crescended and, 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 and passed 55, 60, 65 years old that people started, or, or they were discovered in France, you know, and, and someone over there wrote a great review of their work. It was, it was only once they became too old to really be, uh, relevant anymore that suddenly people realized, oh my God, they were actually incredible actors. You watch Wayne and she wore a yellow ribbon or red river. He's an incredible performer. Right. And they say, oh, well, he, of course he only played himself each time. Do, do you know how difficult it is to play yourself to do right. that? Um, uh, it's such ignorance of what acting takes. McQueen was incredible. You watch McQueen. There's a scene in the, in the uh, great escape. And I, I hadn't seen the film in some time. And I also remembered, Oh, they, they cut to this close-up of him when he says, 250, you're going to get 250 prisoners out. You know, Richard Adam, right. you know, he says, right. how many are you, are you hoping to, to break out? And he says, 250. And I remember this close-up on him as he said that. You watch the film, it's a medium shot, but in your mind, you're right. so much by this incredible performance that you think it was a close-up. You know, you think you, you, they had the power to do that, but they were given short thrift because, A, they were either populist or they did action movies. Uh, you know, films that, that were denigrated by the uh, intellectual press. And I think this is what we're running to here because Scott, you know, Scott in a Benjamin gives what I feel is a career best. Absolutely. You know, not Oscar worthy. I don't know what that, that sort of, you know, uh, hyperbole means anyway, but he gives a performance on the very, very, you know, limits of what, what anyone can do. It's phenomenal. It's an enormous arc and it's a, it's a vulnerable uh, uh, self-effacing performance, you know, because he plays someone who's cowardly and 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 flawed, who then becomes this this retro, you know, this beast of retribution, and it's it's you know it, it doesn't get the credit it's due because people oh he's a martial artist, you know, he's, right. he knows that, yeah, he knows it because he rehearses it over and over again, and he trains six seven hours a, a day when he's not working, and then when he's performing, he do, he's applying the same hard work to that so it's frustrating for me but that is that is what it is and that's the industry you just have to sh make a movie that blows their socks off grams them by the nose and never lets go you know yeah and, well, I, and I think you've, you've done it and one of the things I talked to Daniel about which is along that same line and Daniel Bernard is that um, it's very easy to from the um, script end and from the production end from the acting end when you have a character who's like a Nazi SS uh, commander to make them very cartoonish and two-dimensional and like you said easy to hate and there's such nuance to his performance that absolutely what you've described when you watch the film is that you have such mixed emotions which if you're a reflective person right introspective person you're like well how can i like this guy knowing what i know about this guy but there you get drawn in you get drawn in by the performance you get drawn in by the character and by the situation and that is one of the things that is really sticks with you about the film it's one of the things that makes you think when you're when you're watching the film and after you're watching the film and that's one of the things i really really liked about the film thank you Mark. Yeah, and he's, tell, tell he's me a little very... tell me a little bit about the amazing performance that you got out of nina because 
Uh, my understanding yeah. is she, you know, she doesn't have the the resume. You know, Daniel's been around for a long time, right? So he's he's got Louis Vandalo's got a, a significant resume. She doesn't have the the acting resume from what I saw to be able to take the kind of risk that you took putting her front and center, but yet she carries the movie really, really admirably. She's phenomenal in that in the role. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, she is. I'm very, very impressed by her, you know, every time I watch the film. Uh, I've known Nina a long time. Our, our managers, introduced, you know, we had we, we shared a manager for a brief period and, and we were introduced. We had a general meeting. We chatted. And there was something about her that, that I saw as, as being like an Ingrid Bergman, a, a, a timeless, a Marlon Dietrich, a, a timeless kind of super actor kind of character thing that's going on there. She's she, There's something there that transcends, you know, physical beauty there's something that, which she has as well but there was something more profound which really interested me uh uh and she was a, a, apparently a fan of my work I, I i'm amazed she knew what my work was at that time i hadn't done very much but when uh 2008 hit i lost a lot of jobs i had a lot of trouble with with money at that time and she you know i suddenly found myself in a rather awkward position of you know, having three films to pull through and nina called me and she commissioned me to write a script for her that was based around her life and that money kept my lights turned on but it also meant that i spent three four weeks with her learning about her life and writing this thing and she's quite an, a, an impressive human being she's a very very in, interesting person she fought bare knuckles she was a a, a boxer and a, prior to that she was a russian ballerina uh a very very interesting life and uh i knew there was going to be something happened uh, professionally down down the road and uh there was a point where I felt that I had a great idea for a film about Wonder Woman prior to the Wonder Woman films being released. And I pitched it to Nina and she came and worked on that with me. And it was, it was an enormous hit at the time. It was one of the first sort of truly, you know, internet sensations. It was a million, million views in wow. hours. Uh, I got a call from uh, DC representatives, Warner Brothers. They called me in. I met with them. They said, look, you're not going to be involved in directing the film or writing it, but we love to know that it was okay with you if we we ask you some questions and we show your short to our people here and i said absolutely it's, a, it's the biggest compliment of my career do sure. whatever you need to do and i went back there probably three or four times and you know had the guest pass and into warner brothers met with with executives there and answered questions uh and that that was sort of the end of that until the film came out and then of course i see the shots of the, the rifle breaking which is lifted immediately from our version wow. of it nina amazingly was invited she made it all the way back to like the third or fourth callbacks. Uh, and she said they had blown up pictures in black and white from our short that were in the casting room. And she said, you know, that's me. And they said, no, no, she's got black hair. You're a blonde. And, said, oh, <laughs> and there was yeah. the blank stare that comes when people are, you know, don't really realize that the right, right. world is intersecting with reality. But no, it's the hugest compliment that, that our film helped them in some way, you know, visually or whatever, I don't know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, it doesn't worry me in the slightest. Uh, but I knew that Nina and I worked very well together. And when Hell Hath No Fury came up, obviously they were looking for someone with a bigger a name. Uh, the whole having to cut your hair scared a lot of them off. We did have a lot of submissions prior to that. Uh, it was pandemic time, so a lot of people were nervous of working. Uh, and Nina fought her way to the very front of the line. You know, uh, she came out when... She, you know, the, the production, you know, the producers passed on her, uh, but I needed someone to run the read through. We didn't, you know, the girl that they had chosen was in Russia and, and obviously we couldn't get her out of Russia because of, you know, the, the restrictions on travel. And so Nina ran at the, uh, 
the read-through, and, and she blew all of the actors away. Uh, and a number of us were in tears at the end of the read-through because it's a very moving script. Uh, and all of the actors said, you have, have to go with Nina. And I, I tried to convince the producers and who are Russian, and then Nina reminded me that her grandfather played Ivan the Terrible in the Sergei Eisenstein movie, which is, you know, which is cinematic. Sure. Technology. I mean, it's, it's of the most epic level. And they said, well, why didn't you say that before? <laughs> and, uh, you know, and she was in. And it was a, uh, it was, from that point, it was a fast process of getting into character. We were, you know, we shot in chronological order, which helped. Uh, Nina's done an awful lot of theatre, so she understood the process of immersing herself in character. Cell phones and internet didn't work at the location. Uh, we couldn't have visitors. You couldn't leave the set because of the the COVID, you know, travel restrictions. Right. One people, I, the last thing we could have would someone turn up, you know, because you t- tested every day and temperatures was have someone, you know, test positive because that would be the end of the movie. And we had 12 that, you know, we had, we had a very, very small window before Daniel left for Matrix 4 and Timothy Murphy left for Snowpiercer. So we had, you know, I knew I had to shoot it in that time. Uh, and so we were very, very careful. And all of that really helped her and all of the actors sink themselves into the time period, the, the, the lives of these parts that they were playing. I mean, with Nina, she read a lot. She listened to 1940s music. She didn't allow anything modern to come into this. She didn't answer her phone. She didn't talk to family. I think she was going through a divorce at the time. It was pretty rough. So she left all of that stuff aside and simply became Marie for the process. And I love that. I love working with, with method actors. I love the process of acting. I love actors. So it's it's something that I really, really enjoyed. And I and I realized she was using each of these experiences within within the filming process to to color and to to give dimension to the performance. So it was it was. Listen, with really, really good actors, your role as a director is to give them space to do what they do. You don't, you don't interfere unless you have to. You don't get in and move them and say, oh, you missed your line here or, or you missed your mark there. You don't do that. If something's going really, really well, your job is to stand back and just give them a thumbs up or a, a word of encouragement, let them go in that know they're going right. the right way and, and be present for each of their performance and, and, and watch carefully. And if they, if they change something, make sure you acknowledge that and you see what they're doing. But beyond that, you keep out of the way, you know? Uh, that, that, that is great, and, and it's apparent. You know, the film is a very intimate film, and um, I think that's one of the charms of the film. And it has a sort of noir quality, being that it's a World War II film and that it's a very intimate film. Um, but I would imagine to some degree that that has something to do with the fact that it probably, the way movies are made today, that, you know, there's either these big, giant, hundreds of millions of dollar budget films or there's there's small films and i would imagine your budget on the film wasn't um great did that did that contribute to the intimacy of the film or was that part of the plan and the design in terms of how you 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 outlined it um in terms of putting the film together i I do understand your question uh it's a tricky one to answer when I don't want my actors to ever be aware that there's anything but as much money as they need. They can take as long as they want. They can, they can take whatever prep time they want. They can do the scene as many times as they want. I never, ever say, or I like to never say, we, we have to move on. I'm sorry, that's it. We, you know, right. That's it, we're done. I, I don't ever like finding myself in that situation. Uh, rehearsal time. I want them to take the time, learn the set, 
do what you want. If it doesn't work with you coming in from the right and picking the gun up with your left hand, come in from the left and pick it up with the other hand. Work out what you want, what, what feels most, you know, uh, correct for you. I, I almost said comfortable, but in many cases they want to be uncomfortable, but what feels right for the moment, for that, that beat in the film, let's find it, let's find it. Uh, I, my job is to never let the budget restrictions touch upon what the performance is capable of being. Now, with the crew, it's something else altogether. You guys have got to come up with this for $200 on any other right, right. $1,000. Do whatever you can. I love you for it. If I can help in any way, tell me. If you can't, tell me ahead of time. If it's not safe, let me know. A uh, big one there, obviously. Sure, sure. Now, if anything at any point in the film is unsafe, I have a very transparent relationship with everyone on my set. They speak up. At least four people will speak up and come sure. over and shove me in. You're going too quickly, or, or, or this is, you know, you, it's very rare because I, 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 coming from stunts, I lead a very safety conscious set. The last thing in the world is, is sure, uh, anyone going home injured. It happens because we make, we're working in in precise science. You know, people trip over and they hurt sure. their knees, they trip ankles stepping off the uh, the back of a uh, a truck because they're so into the moment they they forget there's three steps instead of two. You know, this is this is the main cause of injury on a on a film set. Uh, on mine, we have guns. Uh, they're B-fonds, which means they're, they're real guns being permanently converted to fire motion picture blanks. If you took a live round, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to get it into the chamber. And I, I do this on purpose. I have them all converted that way. My, my guns come from my, either my personal armory or, or Mike Tristano's, and I'm, I'm very conscious of that. Uh, about five years ago on, on another film set there's no, you know, that I wasn't running, there was an incident with where you know something went wrong and, and and it scared me enough to have all of ours permanently converted and a lot of these gun you know gun lovers and all these gun freaks they, they can't believe that i've had these things permanently converted which means they'll never be able to be sold. right 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 so i don't care they're, they're, for my movies they're far more valuable as, as safe movie props than they are as as investments you know as, as firearms and it doesn't mean anything to me at all i don't i, I don't particularly worship at the, at the ground of sure but they are a necessary part of action filmmaking. Knife fights with blunted knives and plastic knives. We we have the very best knives. Uh, my choreographer, Luke Lafontaine, is one of the best knife guys in the business. He works as a designer for Cold Steel. Uh, all of these knives are thought out. The knife fight in this one, we chop the knives. We, 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 we chop off the blade and it's painted in later. The, uh, the only time you see the knife blade is when there's a close-up or, or, or it's, it's treated as a prop, at which point it's blunted. But for the knife fight, there's no reason. There's no reason. I don't like the rubber ones because they wobble like that. Yes, yes. That's more difficult to fix than just painting in. We paint, we paint the blade in. There's an inch and a half of knife blade. Uh, the rest is cut off. And you don't need to do anything else. It's, it's a movie set, guys. It's not, this is not where you get injured. We don't want that. Now, having said that, Hell Hath No Fury was a hell of a shoot. Uh, with a hell of a lot going on. And these actors threw themselves into their roles with such physicality that there were scratches, bumps, bruises, burns. You know, Dominic got hit by uh, a Zerk gun. The Zerk gun is a paintball gun that fires a uh, mix of uh, zirconium and, 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 and uh, fish tank gravel. It makes a big, wonderful spark. Somehow, in the, in the moment, in the scene, the special effects guy missed the metal metallic surface he was aiming for and it hit, hit Dom in the side of the head. To his credit, he kept going. He said, nothing, I want to keep going. I want to keep going. But you, you can see these, these bruises in the film. You know, you watch the movie, they're there. 
uh, he fell backwards into a hole. He went into a tunnel. He went under a jeep. He got blown up. He got shot at. It was every day, and I had to keep apologizing to him because he's a dear friend. He was the best man at my wedding. I had oh wow! To, I had to keep apologizing to him. Uh, I'm so sorry, Dom. That we're, we're taking this out of your blood, sweat, and tears, <laughs> uh, and you know, uh, uh, hematomas. And he's like, "It's okay. It's okay. It's helping. It's helping with the character." But I certainly don't try and do that. You never, you know, that's not sure. my style. They pretend to be hurt. They, they act it. They don't actually do it. But this was a one of those rare, rare er moments. You get a beautiful, brilliant cast that's willing to to go the extra step for you. We're in the pandemic, and I think that did a certain amount to sort of uh, create a esprit de corps, a real kind of you know group spirit. You know, we're taking on the world here, guys. Let's put on this. Let's put on this performance. It could be the last one. That could right. It was really something rather special, and uh, we did a film immediately following it that was similar uh, that didn't have the same. It's you know it's it's rare. It's not often. It doesn't always work that that for all the trickery and and sort of magic that I tried to. Uh, have create it only takes a sm few small things to spoil that you know absolutely absolutely so we're talking to jesse b johnson today who is the director of uh an amazing film that is actually uh our review dropped today the film comes out in theaters on november 5th um digitally on november 9th and one that i know you'll be hearing more about that's hell hath no fury uh it is a terrific it's a world war ii um, there's intrigue, there's action, there's romance, there's uh, there's a lot there. There's drama. Um, th there's a lot to it. Uh, and uh, Jesse, tell me now about this part of the. Uh, this is a, this is right. So you're a creative guy. All of that stuff occurs now. This part, right? This is uh, one that I, I think that I know that the critics are 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 loving this film. And this part, the promotion part, um, is that what you're engaged in now, or is that just part of what it is you're doing while making other movies and doing things like that? Or is this sort of your focus for the next week to two weeks or something of that nature, just heavily promoting this one? I, I love it. I love talking about myself. I love talking about the movie. <laughs> Good. I love talking about this cast, you know? Uh, so I, I love this. I have no problems with it at all. I am in post on a, a film that I directed with Michael Rooker and Olga Kurilenko, Malkovich and Willis called White Elephant. We're in the final stages of post on that, doing visual effects and sound. Uh, and then I'm prepping pictures coming up. So it's absolutely perfect timing. I love being able to work like this. I love being, having irons in the fire, some that are, you know, it goes to complete, some that are just about to start and then selling this one. This is a dream for an indie filmmaker. It's just, I am one of the luckiest directors I know in that I'm able to keep working. People keep trusting me. I make money for people, uh, you know, and, and this, this, you know, has allowed me to, to perfect my craft and to, to get in there and experiment, make mistakes and come back and do it again and, and do it better the second time around and to work with actors, to understand how much I love actors and how, and, and, and how precious it is that, that relationship, you know, between the director and the actor as that camera is pointing at them and, the, you know, the level to which you can help that or hinder it, you know, and, uh, I've been lucky. I've been really well, lucky. I, I think it's more than luck. I mean, I certainly when you have a a, um, a repeated opportunity and people desire to come back and work with you and and on on all levels, whether it be the actors or or, or the people that work in the film, that certainly it has to do with 
the role that you play and 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 what you get out of them in the manner in which you do that. Because certainly I, I think, you know, there's tons of successful movies that people will come out of and say it was a great, uh, the end result was great, but I would never work with that guy or that gal again. And and it seems that people don't have, have just the opposite feeling in terms of working with you. With me, and I, I, I love that. And I think what happens with me is I think they may finish the film and they may, they may say that and then they see the film and they see the reviews and they see what the film does. And then they come back. That's all right. That's all right. Like me on the second one, they start to like me. I push very, very hard in an artistic way. I'm not a physical bully. I'm not a, I'm not a mean guy. That doesn't work for me. I have children and, 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 but I push people and I push them to the point where I can be maddening at times. And I like that. And I, and I, my, my assistant, director Sasha who I've worked with three times he says it's it's like a velvet glove but you know it's relentless it just keeps gently pushing them a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and actors who have done good work end up doing work that they are surprised by it and they're like holy shit but yes at the end of the film quite often they don't like me and there's a nod and a yeah yeah sure yeah. and they vanish. <laughs> they come back Dolph Lundgren did it I, I, I remember Dolph was very cool with me on a on the package when we worked to that. And he got his first majorly good review in Los Angeles Times. And this was a significant thing. And he wrote me the most amazing letter. And I've worked with him a couple of times since then. And, and we get on very, very well. But it's an interesting thing. Being pushed is not always a pleasant feeling when you're there in the moment and, and knowing that, that that's happening. But then you see the result of that later. And I think people really enjoy it. But then there's others I just get on very well with as well. You know? Well, that's great. That's great. And it's evident. And I think the... What's that? Some that push me, Scott Adkins, Lewis Bedlock, these guys do work, which these guys do work that pushes me to the very edge of my abilities. They challenge me and they, they you realize, oh shit, I'm playing cards at a different level now. I've got to stop looking at social, you know, you know, it's like I've got to, I got to put my game head on and really focus. And when I go home tonight, I'm going to do my homework and then I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to do my shot list. I'm going to be ready because these guys are putting in the extra, you know, the extra amps of effort. And you I, know, I think it's a matter of all pushing each other. in. That's great. And I think it, it's, it's evident and it shows and it's easy. I mean, uh, you know, again, in, we're limited on time, but if I look at debt collectors as a perfect example, right? So it would be easy to turn around and say the first one was a success. Let's just do a formulaic uh, reboot of of that and just do exactly what we did again. Just you know, come back and and and, but but that's not what occurred, right? So and that happens all the time. But you 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 working working with people that you have the ability to to two plus two equals six is a is a really exciting thing. Oh, thank you, Mark. I like that on this film, Hell Hath No Fury. You know. I thought I'd done all my research on Von Bullock, no, on the 12th, on the SS. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the way it's written and, and the way we're going. And then you're sitting there the night before filming, you get a telephone call, it's Daniel calling. And like, oh, it's interesting. Shouldn't he be learning his lines? And it's an hour long conversation. And I realized that Daniel has questions that I hadn't thought of, that he's going in another direction uh, with his research. And he's wanting to know why this guy is doing this and, and what's the reason for, and, and you have that. When you work with an intellectual actor, an actor who's really, you know, really wants to know, you know, what's going on, you have to have those answers. And thankfully, I've done a lot of my research, as I say, and so I compared mine with his, and somewhere in there came the character that you watch when you watch the movie. And this is really, really exciting. And I love working with cast like that. And Daniel, for the longest time, I feel, has been given short thrift, but he's he's tremendous, especially by his 
his best buddies, you know, David and Chad, I think they should be giving him much bigger parts. You know, they, they almost, they almost, you know, fool with him by giving them these small, right. you know, these roles in, in, in you know, the, uh, John Wick and uh, Atomic Blonde and uh, nobody. And it's like, he deserves so much more. He has the ability to do so much more. I want to work with him again. I want to show what we can do, you know, with a, with a, with a leading man as opposed to a, you know. He's got great uh, range because he his comedic uh, depth in uh, Barry was just uh, really, that HBO Barry where he, was just absolutely phenomenally funny. And no, I, I no. and, his, and his timing was great. I hope this film does something good for him. I truly do. You know, knock on wood. I just really, you know, really hope he brings him to a slightly, you know, not a bigger audience because the audience he has already is enormous, but, but sure. shows him in a different light, shows, shows another aspect of his, talents that people are not we're not expecting and they go wow you know absolutely and i'm sure that it will for everybody we are speaking to lewis mandalore on sunday i believe on the, on this film i think that's the final interview that we have scheduled and i'm looking forward to that i haven't spoken to him before we've spoken to scott and we've spoken to you but um and, a and, thing, man. He's, he's a he's a practitioner of martial arts for you know entire lifetime he's very very dangerous he's very strong and physically his abilities are enormous uh you know for, for your for your Sure. And, but he's also a method actor and he contributed to, he was basically the, the, the linchpin that made debt collectors as good as it was. I, I feel uh, like. his, his portrayal of Sue is just, is just so memorable. I, I probably uh, laughed or smiled the entire time that he was on the screen, no matter what the, the scene was. He's brilliant. And he didn't come to the cast read through. I didn't know what was happening. Scott didn't know what was happening. He watched that first take in the in the Cadillac when they're in I always try and do this stuff as much as close to chronological sure. and they have this, this interaction he's coughing and spluttering I look at Scott and I'm like oh god he's gonna have a he's gonna be dead <laughs> before the end of the day ridiculous <laughs> you know so strange and then we did the second take and you realize the coughs and the splatters are an identical place and they're not moving and the performance is far from loose it's as rigid and it's as powerful and it's as profound as it can be and I looked at Scott and then we shared a different emotion which was oh shit we're gonna have to play our a game with this one this is something else that's together. great point, I saw something else come out of Scott's performance and all of us it when you work with really good actors it it brings everyone up even the crew members because now they're watching they're excited they're into it and they realize this could be something else this film's going to be something interesting that will help my career I'll get hired for this film and this film and this film because now and, and it's an amazing thing. It's, I mean, obviously we're not as mercenary or as, you know, as skin deep as that, but it's just, it's just a wonderful thing happens when you suddenly see a scene evolve into something more than it was actually written. It's, That's and great. we had it on Atmo Fury. We really did. I was so lucky with this cast. I hope people do the, do themselves the favor, if possible, of seeing this on the big screen. It was shot in anamorphic, true anamorphic, compressed and then decompressed uh, with Cook lenses from 1960. Uh, and, Jonathan Hall did something really spectacular with it. So if people can sit on the theatre, select theatres of uh, November 5th for, I think, a week or so. Just do it. Do it. Do yourself a I, I, I absolutely agree. It is triumphant in, in so many ways. It's visually beautiful. It is well-scripted. The acting, um, the cast plays so well together. It is a riveting film. It kept me engaged from the moment one and, until the end. And, and I was... Um, 
disappointed to to walk out when I when the film was over because I really uh, I wanted to watch it again almost immediately because it was really that it was really that good and that is I see a lot of films it's a rarity so uh, I congratulate you and I thank you for talking to us and um, I look forward to, to hearing more about what people's response is and I look forward to talking to you in the future I know you got some things coming up so uh, I'd love to speak to you again as as uh, your new projects come come about. Thank you, Mark. I really appreciate the kind words. It means the world to me. And I am sharing them with the cast. So. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, well we, 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 we mean it and, and we will do our best to, to spread the good word. So all the best. And thank, thank you. you. Thank you again. And have a wonderful day. Thank you. We're talking to Jesse B. Johnson about Hell Hath No Fury, a great new movie. Uh, I ask you to check it out. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.